0: you can have a seat. If, you're, if you've uh, just joining in, I want to say welcome. Welcome to Fellowship. We are glad uh, that you're here, whether you're in person or online. We, we're glad to, to have this time to engage in God's Word together. And here's what I hope happens today. Um, I do hope that as we go through this text today, as we go through our passage, you will be able to engage with this uh, always open invitation to be with Jesus. That's what I hope happens. And and at the end of my message today, I'm going to give us a little bit of time to do that. And and I hope that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, on your relationship with Jesus, on your relationship with God, I hope that you will use this time to engage with Jesus and engage uh, with the God who knows you and the God who loves you and the God who created you. Now today... Here's what we're going to do. Uh, I, I've got a little bit of pastoral encouragement for you uh, that's actually not based on the passage today, but it's based on what we know about Mark, at least what we think we know about the guy who wrote uh, the, the book of the Bible that we're working our way through. And then I'm going to get into the text of today, um, because I just, as I was preparing this and and, and thinking about Mark, and, and I, there's just something here that I think really springs from it, uh, but the point of today's message is going to be a little bit different and it's going to be contained in this word. If you go ahead and put that word up, the word is pivot, right? The word is, there it is. Okay. The word is pivot, right? Um, And and so here's what I want to ask you. When you see the word pivot, when I say the word pivot, what comes to mind? Is it the fact that, you know, for the past two years we've been having to pivot and you're kind of done with it? Right, like you remember when that word was the word pivot. You know, you got to pivot here, you got to pivot here, you got to pivot here. Or, if you're like me, there's a scene from a TV show that comes to mind. You know the TV show, Friends, right? When when uh, when when Ross and and Chandler and and Rachel are trying to move a couch upstairs, right? And they keep shouting, you know, Ross, it's his couch, he got it cheap, he didn't want to pay for someone to deliver it and move it upstairs, so he's got his friends here and he keeps telling them to what? Pivot! 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 And, and, and I don't know if you watched the Friends reunion when it came out, but they showed the outtakes of that scene, which are even more funny than the scene, but that scene itself is like comedy gold. Right, like, like it changed the way we think of a word, and that word being pivot. Now, what pivot means, that that captures, is it means to shift something, right? It means to, to move it. It's what we had to do during the pandemic. It's what we still have to do. We have to shift, and we, and we have to move. You know, so let me, let me ask you this. Have you ever had to pivot? Have you ever had to pivot something? Students, have you ever tried to move something? And this is also for adults, too. Have you ever tried to move something bigger than you could actually move? If so, then you know what a pivot is, right? Like Ross and, and Chandler and, and Rachel had to move this couch when they couldn't move it. You know what a pivot is. Have, for, for those of you who have, who have gone on to, to college and even, even graduate school, I hope this didn't happen in graduate school, but maybe it did. Have you ever had to pivot your course of study? Right? Like you start college and you think you're going to do this and then you realize you don't like that, so you pivot, right? And you meet with your advisor and you say, okay, here's the classes I have. How can I get out of here as soon as possible? Right? That's the pivot, right? Or maybe if you're an athlete, right, like you've had to pivot your workout routine to, to get better at a specific skill, like, like there's all these pivots, right? Uh, maybe as, as you've entered the career world, you've had to pivot your work routine to be able to, to be more effective at your job. For those of us who have multiple kids, you have to pivot how you raise one child because it's different from each child to child, isn't it? Sometimes you're like, how did these children come from the same people, right? Like, like they're just different, and you have to pivot, right? And let's get a little more personal. Is there a place in your life, in your heart, in your soul, is, is there a place that needs to pivot, right? Is, is there a place in your life and heart and soul that needs to, to rotate just a bit? For example, do you ever feel stuck in a rut? Do you ever feel stuck in your spiritual life, stuck in your life? Parents, maybe you yell at your kids too much, right? Even though you didn't raise your hand, that's fine, right? Kids, particularly teenagers, maybe you yell at your parents too much, and you don't like doing that, and parents don't like yelling at their kids, Right? Maybe you need more friends, like really good friends. Maybe you need a different job, and so you feel like a pivot's coming. Maybe, maybe you, you, you are addicted to something. Maybe something's got a control over you, and you don't have control over it, and you know that you need to pivot. Right? Maybe life is just too much in too many areas. Well, here's what I, 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 we're going to do today as we go through our text. We're going to see Jesus show us the power of a pivot, right? And as he does, I pray that we can all learn to meet with Jesus when we need a pivot. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. We're going to do like 20 verses, verses 21 through 45. So we're going to go at a pretty fast pace. Uh, But I think there's a theme that runs through this. And as we go through the book of Mark, as you're turning there, we're calling this, this, this series Jesus According to Mark because uh, this is Mark's account of, of Jesus, of stories that he compiled of his experiences with Jesus, right? And, and, and now the deal is, though, Mark's name is never actually in this letter that's been passed around. Like, like we assume it was Mark. There are indicators that help us to know it was Mark. And, and if it was Mark, there's also indicators that maybe he has a little cameo appearance in it. Later on in the book, and we'll get to it, there's this random quick little story about about a, a, a young kid, like early teen, running away from Jesus. And a lot of commentators believe. That's Mark kind of telling his story a little bit. And, there's, and this is where the encouragement comes from. Because let me tell you what else happens with Mark. Like, in his own writing, we see him running away from Jesus. It's, like I said, it's toward the end of the book when, when uh, things aren't going good for Jesus. Mark is like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here, right? But what we also know about Mark is that, because we also know him as Mark or, or John Mark, we also know that as he grew up, he traveled with Paul and Barnabas. We know that he he came back. We don't know exactly why he left or how long he left, but he came back. And we see that he traveled with him. Now, he was still a young man at this time and still learning, and is actually the reason Paul and Barnabas's ministry went separate ways. Right? And Barnabas being the son of encouragement, that's what his name is. He took he took Mark under his wing and nurtured him and developed him. And we also know historically that Mark became Peter's protege. right? So you think about Peter, the leader of the Jerusalem church, uh, the, 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 the guy you read about that disciple that was a disciple of Jesus. Like that Peter, Mark was his second-hand guy and wrote a lot of the stuff down for, for, for Peter. And so a lot of the way that Jesus sees, sees Jesus and remembers Jesus is, is Peter giving him his experience with Jesus. Right? And then, too, we see that, that he and Paul are reunited. At the end of 2 Timothy, Paul says, hey, get, send Mark to me. He's helpful to my ministry. And so we see this, this interweaving of this guy that we know as Mark. And here's why I share this. Here's the encouragement that kind of springs from this. I think we all know people in our lives. Maybe it is our children. Maybe it is our grandchildren. Maybe it is our friends. And maybe it is our co-workers who at one time walked with Jesus and went away. Here's the encouragement that we see in this person of Mark, is that even though they may walk away from Jesus, Jesus hasn't walked away from them. And what we're going to see as we work our way through this passage is that Jesus really does have this always open invitation to come to him and to meet with him. And he never rejects, he never shames, he loves and he meets with. And so if you, if, you, if you have someone in your life that is like this young Mark that's running away from Jesus, pray for them to pivot back because Jesus will be there. As a matter of fact, I think it's Jesus's kind of sweet spot is to do that. Well, let's look at verse 21. So chapter 1 verse 21 says this, It says, and they went to Capernaum, so this is Jesus and the disciples, and they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Now, next week, we're going to talk a lot about the scribes, so I'm going to save them for next week. But but what we see here is that when Jesus showed up, right, in Capernaum, he went to the temple, he went to the synagogue there, and started teaching. And what the people noticed is they're like, wait a second. His teaching is different than their teaching. The scribes were considered the experts of the law. Their job was to, to take the words of the Bible and write it from one piece of paper to another piece of paper. And so they knew every word. And if they missed a word or if they missed a syllable, they had to start all over again. So, so they, they, they took great pain in knowing God's word, right? And, and, and what we see here is that the, the people, the congregation, notice something different between the scribes' teaching and Jesus' teaching. Now, last week, Matt talked about, about Jesus going into the desert and being tempted, and, and he, he made this point that part of the reason that he did that was to let Satan know that his time is up, right? And that Satan was now moving to a defensive role, not an offensive role, Right? Well, this is seen immediately in how Jesus teaches. You see, the scribes would teach from this knowledge about God, but Jesus could teach as his position of God. Like, Jesus is God. God is Jesus. And so his teaching would be different. And like, for the listener, this would have to be a shocking contrast. Like, like, imagine if I stood up here and started talking about my heart of forgiveness. Right? And imagine if I started talking about myself as if I was God. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Like, y'all would get up, my wife would be the first one out the door. Right? It would be weird. And that's the contrast that they experienced because as Jesus talked about God, right? He taught as God, the scribes. They taught about God. God is this and God is this. But Jesus taught with an authority as God. And we're going to see how this unfolds. Look at verse 23. Verse 23. It says, immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, right? So as Jesus is teaching, and he's teaching as God, this, this man who is possessed by a demon, who is oppressed by a demon, uh, he has got something evil attached to him, begins to speak up and begins to, to, to speak out. Because remember, Satan is on the defensive now. Y'all, can I bring this to our time for just a minute? Because there's something here, something I, I think that that as your pastor, and, and I want us all to believe, and it's this, that we still live in a spiritual world. Like, like we read this in the New Testament and we see Jesus's experience of church and it's easy for us to go, well, that was him and that was them and not now. But let me tell you, like as a missionary, as a pastor, like I have seen the spiritual world, like, like the, the dark side of it, right? And, and, and here's what happens. It's always unnerving. It's always unnerving when the spiritual world pulls back a little bit and lets you know that there is good and that there is evil. And, and, and this is what Jesus is going to say. But here's what, what I also have seen in dealing with that, is I have seen that Jesus has a powerful effect on the spiritual world, that he has control over the spiritual world, that even the mention of his name, to the evil, dark, spiritual world causes them to freak out, right? You see, Jesus, he speaks and the spiritual world obeys. Now, here's why I share this. As a church, y'all, we can never assume that we're not in a spiritual world, right? We can never assume that there is not evil in this room from time to time, right? It's why we teach Jesus. It's why we proclaim Jesus. It's why I want you to meet with Jesus. Because he's the only one that has power over that. Because that's what we can never forget as we gather here and as we go home is that we have Jesus. We have the one who's in complete control over the spiritual world. Because watch this, right? It says, and immediately there was in in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and he cried out, why have you, what have you come to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, can you imagine, right? Like somebody speaking up to, you're one of the disciples and you've started following Jesus. And all of a sudden this demon knows Jesus by name. And not only knows Jesus by name, he knows Jesus' position that you are judge. Have you come here to destroy us? Because if you've come here to destroy us, we are destroyed. He knows Jesus' identity. You are the Holy One of God. Like, this is, this is, like, wild stuff. In the book of James, it says this. This is how we're to respond to this. And this verse is going to go up on the screen. James chapter 2, verse 19 says this. It says, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. The word shudder means that they're afraid. Like, this spiritual world that Jesus is encounters... Encountering sees Jesus for exactly who he is, and they run scared. But watch this in verse 25. Isn't this fun? All right, verse 25. Happy Mother's Day. But (laughs) Jesus rebuked him, right, saying, be silent, come out of him. Any parents have this verse memorized, (laughs) right? Right? Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirit and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Like, y'all, here's the deal. With one simple command, Jesus spoke. And that demon leaves the man. Now, he puts on a show, right? Sometimes they do, but he leaves. Jesus gives one simple command, be silent and come out. Why silent? Because he doesn't need the demon giving him testimony, right? Jesus' desire is for humanity to see him as God. The spiritual world already knows he is. He wants us to see him as God. You see, he doesn't need evil Speaking to his identity. His desire is for humans. His desire is for us to place our faith in him as God. He doesn't need us putting our, 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 our hope in a demon's testimony. Look at what happens next. Verse 29. It says, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of, of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And now Simon's mother-in-law... Uh, lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and her fever left her, and she began to serve them. All right, so so here's what happens: Jesus goes from 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 casting out this demon, which which caused his fame to spread, and people are like, "Did you hear what happened at church today? You know, Bob, like crazy Bob, like he's not crazy anymore." Jesus fixed him, and everybody's like, well, I need some of that, right? And so Jesus leaves this, this, this frantic, famous crowd, right, and goes into a home, and when he gets in the home, he finds out Peter's mother-in-law is sick. This is, by the way, how we know Peter's married, right? or at least was, because he has a mother-in-law, and she's sick. And so Jesus heals her. The, the word that's used here is a fever, right? And in and, and ancient times, they had no idea what caused fevers. It could have been a plethora of things. And Jesus just lifted her up and healed her. And he healed her so that she could serve them. That's the first thing she does is she gets better, fever leaves, and she says, honey, let me make y'all dinner. Right? Right? And, and, and here's the deal, y'all. I've, I've got to tell you, um, I, I have seen this twisted, right, to mean that a woman's place is in the kitchen. Y'all, please, let's not make this awkward, right? That's not what happened here. What happened here is Jesus healed a woman who was sick, and she served her Lord. And here's the deal, like the potluck proves, some of y'all know how to cook. Right, And if Jesus were to show up, you would make him dinner. Whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, that's what you love to do. And that's what this woman did. I think, I think in her, we see that we're healed by Jesus so that we can help others experience Jesus. Because that's what she did. She knows. like He's going to get up from here and go someplace else. He needs something good to eat. Because he's got a full day ahead of him. Y'all, Jesus heals us so that we can bring others to, G- to Jesus for healing. That's what happens here. When we say yes to Jesus and yes to his offer of salvation, his always open invitation to come to him, when we say yes to that and he takes away the power and penalty of sin in our life, part of what we do next is introduce others to that same Jesus. Right? We get to help others see the Jesus that saved us so that they can follow him too. Like when Jesus gives you freedom in those places where sin so easily entangles us, it allows us to help those who struggle with the same sin. That's why I talk about mothers, people who have lost their mothers and people who want to be mothers. We've got people in this church that's right there where you are, and Jesus has helped them and is helping them. It's still a struggle for them, but they're there because they know, they know. And they're there because Jesus has helped them. You know who make the best counselors? Are people who have experienced transformation in Jesus and been set free, right? The best addiction counselors are people that have suffered from addiction and been set free in Jesus through it. And they've learned what it's like to feel the power of something you can't control and see Jesus as bigger and better than that power. Right? You know who gives the best grace-filled parenting advice? Grandmas who have seen the grace of Jesus in their grandkids, right? Because there's something, when you're at a park with another parent and you're both just worn smooth out, right? And there's something about commiserating together, but there's something about a sweet grandparent saying, you know what? You're going to be okay. Jesus carried me through this, He'll carry you through this. Like, that's what happens here. Look at what happens after they have a bite to eat. Look at verse 32. I told you all we'd be going through this, didn't I? It said, Then then, uh, that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and they cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And so what started out at a church service and then moved to a private home has now really grown, right? Jesus' fame has grown. Y'all, look at what he does next because this is our pivot, right? And here's the pivot for today's message. So what does Jesus do after all this? It says, verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he did what? He prayed. And there he prayed. So after this super busy day, going to church, casting out demons, going over to Peter's Peter's mother-in-law's house, healing her, having a big meal, then having who knows how many people come to him for healing and having demons cast out. He wakes up early to pray. You know, after this busy, long day where really he went from a nobody to a celebrity pastor in one day. Right? He goes away to get by himself to pray. He spends time with God. Just him and God. You see, Jesus had been in a desolate place before, right? Matt talked about it last week. 40 days he was in a desolate place, fasting and praying. And when he did, he, as he fasted and prayed, he was, he was tempted by Satan himself, And when you go through something like this, I would imagine you realize the importance of it. Like you realize the importance of getting alone and praying. You realize the power of a pivot like this. And I've had times in my life which were a pretty despo- des- desolate place. I wasn't in a desert. I wasn't fasting for 40 days. Y'all, the most I've ever done is like three, to be completely honest. Not to brag, but that's three too many on most days, right? Like, Like 40 days, I can't imagine. And Jesus did. And he was in this desolate place. My desolate place was more spiritually. And maybe you've had these desert places and these desolate places spiritually. All I can tell you is that in those places, Jesus has lovingly met me there. And he has has comforted me and he has healed me in those places. And you know what? Even though I know the power of being there, I can so often forget, right? I can so often let busyness keep me away from being with Jesus. Like, Like where Jesus had a super busy day and he said, no, I've got to meet with God. I can have a super busy day and be like, I'll catch you later. Right? I'll have more time tomorrow. I'll have more time the next day. But here's what I've learned is that Jesus, he waits and he never rejects us. Right? Anytime I invite him into my day, into my week, into a counseling appointment, into a strategic meeting, into a leadership thing, he always partners with me in that. You see, Jesus understands his desperate need to connect with God. And he knows in those places, that's where a pivot can happen. And so my question for us is, can we learn from Jesus in this? Are there places in your life that you can create space to meet with Jesus? Maybe it's, it's putting your phone in another room, right? Because it's so easy when it's right next to you, isn't it? Something pops into your head. Oh, I think I figured out the wordle for today, right? Like, like something, it's easy. Like how, what can you do to, to, to create that space? Because here's the deal. If you need a pivot, you need Jesus. Right? That's what we're going to see. If you need a pivot, you need Jesus. Because y'all, like, like, you might be asking, like, okay, Fred sounds great. How do I do this? But I need Jesus, right? I, I have a pivot. I need Jesus. How do I do this? Like, like, it's so simple. You get alone. You can close your eyes. You can open your eyes. That's not the big deal. And maybe you just start with, hi, Jesus, and see what happens from there. Like it really is that simple. Telling what's going on with your day. Telling where you are. Like, acknowledge it and, 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 and tell him and ask him, what do I need to know about this? And see what he says. Look at verse 36. And we'll see Jesus' pivot because here's what happens. Verse 36, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, right? And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you, right? They're, they're like, Jesus, we got a busy day lined up. Remember yesterday? We're going to be twice as busy today. People are already lined up. It's like Black Friday out there, like, like they're, they're, they're showing up, right? And they're saying the day is packed because to them, Jesus having a bigger platform is just what they want. Because they think, listen, if he is going to be the Savior of Israel, everybody's got to know his name. Rome's got to know his name. The enemy has to know that he needs a bigger platform. He needs more, and he needs better, and he needs bigger. And I'm sure when they showed up, they're like, What are you doing alone? What are you doing here? Now, remember, if, if, you know, commentators arrived and Mark wrote this and Mark was a, a protege of Peter. Like this is why this is so important to Peter because what we know about Peter and, and seeing him as a disciple and seeing him in the other writings is that he was a go get it kind of guy, right? Like, like bigger and better was his language, right? He was the one that was driving stuff. He was the one that when a soldier came to attack Jesus, he pulled out a sword and cut off his ear, right? He was the one that when, when, when Jesus said, get out of the water, he said, all right, here we go. Right, or get out of the boat, into the water. He said, here we go. Like, like This was Peter's mode of operation. Bigger is better. And so when he sees Jesus by himself, what we realize is that he needs a pivot too. That Peter needed a pivot to get in line with Jesus. Because this is what pivots do. Prayerful piv- pivots align us with Jesus. We get to see the world as he sees it. We get to live the world with him instead of of without him. We pray, and when we pray, we need a pivot. Whether it's a big one or a small one, we need a pivot. And it could be as simple as a pivot to worship. Anybody driving in your car and you're like, I need worship music right now because my mind is in a not good place. That's a pivot, right? Right? And it's a pivot to worship and to, and to see Jesus, or it could be something deeper, right? The theological term is confession, and confession is when we realize there's something in our life that is not the way God would intend it, right? Confession is the acknowledgement that we need a pivot, and as Jesus shines his light into our soul, we see these areas of sin in our life, and sin is the stuff in our mind and in our body and in and, and our soul, which isn't what God wants for us. And here's the deal, we've all got it, right? And we go to Jesus and we confess that sin and then we repent, which means turn away. And we turn away from it and turn to Jesus. This this is the heart of a pivot. We we pivot, and this happens when we pray. We pivot from, from our world to Jesus. And when we do, he meets us there. Because just to prove the point of the power of this pivot. Look at what Jesus does next. It says in verse, in verse 40, let's jump down to, let's go to verse 40. It says, it says, a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Right? Because this pivot, Jesus said, if you look in the verses that, that I just passed over and I passed over because they're pretty plain, it says it says, Jesus says, no, 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 we're not going to go to the big places anymore. We're going to keep going and keep going to different villages and different places. Now, lepers... Were people that were outcast, right? They they literally couldn't be around people because they had skin diseases, and they didn't know the full like when it says leper in scripture, we think of leprosy, but it could have been any skin disease, could have been an unknown rash, could have been eczema, could have been anything. But but in ancient times, they didn't know, and so they were like, this could be contagious. You need to be outside, and they could come to worship, but they had to stand behind a screen. Right? They, had, they were separated from the people of God. They were separated from their from their from their friends. They were, they were outcasts. And look at what Jesus, and this leper says, hey, if you can, you can heal me. And look at what Jesus does. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. I love what Jesus here, and I wish we had more time. I'm already over, but I'm going to keep going because here's the deal. Notice what Jesus does first because, y'all, this is why we pivot. Right? This is what we need to believe about meeting with Jesus in a pivot. Notice that Jesus doesn't heal the man first. What does he do first? Do you see? He touches him first. Now, here's the deal. This guy has quite possibly hasn't felt another human touch him unless they're also an outcast and who knows how long. And Jesus, this preacher, the one that people are calling Savior, he reaches out to this leper and touches him before he heals him. Y'all, you know, I, think, I think Mark is, is, is being used by God to show us something about God that goes against what we think about God, right? Because we picture, we picture Jesus in this clean white robe, right? But, but here's what we see with Jesus, is that Jesus loved getting messy with people who wanted to be clean, right? He loved getting messy with humanity. I mean, he left heaven to come here, right? That says something. And when this leper was used to being isolated, Jesus touches him and then heals him. Jesus touches him as sick and then heals him. You see, Jesus connects with this guy before he's clean. You see, Jesus doesn't mind getting dirty with you and me, which is why an invitation to pivot is this always open invitation with Jesus. See, no matter what kind of pivot you need, Jesus meets you. And he meets you truly as you are. And he will heal you and connect with you in that moment. This is our Jesus. Now, before we leave today, one more aspect in verse 30 43 through 45. It says this. It says, And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, And offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And so Jesus told this guy, hey, you know, I just had this pivot with with God. And he said, I need to keep this on the down low. So if you could do that, that would be great. And this guy goes, gotcha, y'all, y'all. Look, 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 I'm clean, right? Like, he starts telling everybody. And now the lepers are like, I need some of that. And, and it, Jesus gets even more famous, right? The, but this guy disobeyed Jesus. And I think there's a couple of things we can learn here. One, that disobedience does have consequences. Like, because of this guy doing what Jesus told him not to do, Jesus couldn't go anywhere now without a crowd following him. What we see as Mark unfolds is that even when Jesus went to desolate places, guess who followed him there? The crowds. They even figured out where he was going to be and met him there in desolate places. Like everywhere he went, there were were people and there were crowds. And, And here's the deal here. This guy still needs a pivot, right? Like we can think that once we meet with Jesus, we are good. And this guy shows us, no, we still need Jesus. We still need to pivot with Jesus because even though the power of sin is dealt with in our life when we say yes to Jesus, the penalty of sin is dealt with when we say yes to Jesus. Sin still lingers in our bodies and in our souls and in our minds, and Jesus still needs to meet with us and pivot with us. Our Jesus isn't a one-and-done Jesus. We still need him every day. Like I said, I believe our salvation is secure But the way we work that out, our sanctification, our struggle isn't done. You see, we still need Jesus to touch us and heal us. And our continuing sin shows us we need a pivot. Now notice something here too. is at the beginning of this verses that we went through. Jesus exercises control over the spiritual world. He exercises control over illness. He speaks and they listen. He speaks, the demon leaves. He speaks, the fever is gone. Actually, Mark doesn't even show him speaking, just lifting her up and the fever is gone. Notice what he does to humanity. He speaks, but he doesn't control. Right? Those things he controls. Us, he commands. And gives us the choice to obey him or not. Like, as a parent, ooh, I learned this. My wife and I talk about this. We were school teachers. Give us a room full of 30 kids, and we could be in somewhat control. Give us our own kids at the grocery store, and it's wheels off. Right? Like, it didn't make any sense. Jesus gives us the ability to obey Him. See, Jesus doesn't master over us. He meets with us. This is our Jesus. And so let me ask you this, where do you need to pivot today? Where is sin lingering in your life? Because it's here that you need to pivot. And today I want to offer you this this time of prayer as we go into worship and as we sing these songs, I want you to meet with Jesus. And if you need a pivot, we've, we've got people that can pray with you in the back. If you want to talk to someone about that and have someone put their hand on your shoulder and pray for you, we can do that. Or if you just need to be here, and be with Jesus, you can do that. But if, if, if you have this place where you know you need a pivot, let today be the day that you meet with Jesus there. Father, as we leave this place and as we worship you, may we see you for who you are. In Christ's name I pray, amen.